our newest holiday, Juneteenth. A day to reflect and move forward. From the atrocities of slavery and Tulsa, Juneteenth can show us the way forward. I'm Peter J. Welcome to our Radio Roundtable with higher education consultant Dr. Michael Walker-Jones, Harvard's Executive Director for Health and Human Services, Dr. Natalie Alinos, and from Beacon Hill, Representative Jeff Roy, as we the people navigate the unique journey of America toward a more perfect union. Hello, this is Frank Falby, and we're moving toward a more perfect union. Today, we're going to have split topics. We're going to talk about Tulsa, 1921, and the riot and the terrible carnage uh, that happened there. And then we're going to move on to Juneteenth, which is the 19th of June, uh, that the House and the Senate have just declared a holiday. So Tulsa, 1921, 32 blocks of uh, prosperous African-Americans surrounded by a white Anglo community right after World War I. Tensions uh, mount because uh, allegedly an African-American boy touched a white girl in an elevator, and that precipitated uh, all sorts of unsubstantiated accounts and uh, the rise of temperatures precipitated a riot that guns, firebombs from airplanes were dropped. Approximately, possibly 300 people were killed. Uh, mass graves were buried and 32 blocks were destroyed. There were, was a remains of a basement of a Baptist church. Two recent hour-long programs on uh, uh, TV, cable have been aired. So where should we begin? I think a great start for us on this discussion and um, would be uh, the fact that, I, at least for me, in my educational upbringing, had never heard of this particular event in any of the history classes or in any of the discussions that I participated in throughout my you know, K to 12 career and throughout my college experience. It was never brought home to me and I just learned about it in, in 2021, Same 100 years after the end. You know, it's, it's just remarkable that an event of this magnitude, which destroyed a community that had been built up to be known as the, as the Black Wall Street, that was uh, a successful, thriving community could be destroyed in a matter of a couple days, and mass graves were uh, used to to bury people, and that even in that community itself, people didn't know about the story. In fact, um, I listened to an interview by the mayor uh, of Tulsa, the current mayor of Tulsa, who indicated that he had just learned about that particular event that had happened in his community. Uh, to me, 
that is a, an absolutely remarkable, you know, fact that for years that story was buried. It's good to see that it's, uh, it's coming out. I noticed that the uh, Smithsonian Magazine, uh, the latest issue, that was the cover story uh, on their issue. And uh, I'm currently reading a book uh, called the, the Groundbreaking, An American City and Its Search for Justice by Scott Ellsworth, which is a whole book about the untold story of the, the Tulsa race massacre. I, to me, I think that's a great place for us to start today. I have to say, Jeff, also, this is PJ, and I heard about it like you this year, and you know, my first impression in hearing about it was just slack-jawed horror, really? And just, it brought a new dimension to the entire history post-slavery um, and how, you know, such a relatively small, benign, innocent, call it what you will, even piece of fiction as a, as a, as an sparking incident could open up so much just aimless rage. Just, I didn't know how to respond to it all. Just, you know, cognitive dissonance, trying to process it. PJ, I don't know if it was aimless rage. Uh, And, you know, I learned about it in 2013 at the beginning of the Black Lives Matter sort of movement. I was working very closely with the young, I was at the New York City Health Department and there was a young black special assistant to Dr. Bassett and she you know, was early 20s. And we were talking and she was saying that she and her friends were hoping to sort of, you know, buy land and just get away. You know, it was kind of her, like, her reaction was like, I cannot live in society. Like, this is horrible. Like, we should get away. And then she brought this up. She said, but of course, if we get away, we build up, we have an affluent community, we succeed, then you guys, you know, meaning white Americans Uh are going to come and destroy it. It was, you know, in her mind, and I think, you know, maybe Michael can jump in, It was the fact that it was an affluent, successful community that was the instigation. But And it's not unique. It wasn't the first or the only. Mm -hmm. uh, But there was something unique about Greenwood. It had succeeded. It had succeeded. There were, you know, 30 grocery stores. There was a hospital, a Black-owned hospital, a library. It was kind of like, this is a model of, you know, if you want to step away and succeed. And then it was burnt to the ground. And, you know, for her, and I, I would love to hear from Michael, when she talked about it, it was like, even if we try this right now in 2013 to step away and, and build a commune, you know, a, a, you know, of, of, you know, black, smart, middle-class academic kind of folks, you know, it, it, the risk of it being destroyed and it is real and was real for her then. And I remember being like, you know, you're right. You're right. This is fundamentally, you know, and, and it's, you know, it's the hundred year anniversary. It's great that we're talking about it, but we also should be talking about, you know, could this happen again? Is there, are we much further along? I think we're much further along, but not where I'd like us to be. So, uh, Michael, I'll put you on the spot because I'm sure this history isn't new to you. Well, you know, I'm, I'm sad on a number of fronts. First, I first learned of Tulsa in the spring semester of 1971 while I was at the University of Rochester and I had a black history course. Now, that's interesting in that, like you folks, I had never... I had never learned any of this in high school. Uh-huh. So it took a college course in order for it to sort of come to the front. And then the second thing is that I also, it was in the context of uh, another course that I discovered there was a lot of American history that I had not been taught because that same semester I learned about the massacre at Wounded Knee of indigenous folks. I also learned about 
the Rosewood in Florida, which happened actually prior to uh, Tulsa. And it was at that point that I realized many of us in America have been sheltered from our real history. It was a few uh, semesters later when I started to learn about the slave uprisings and the massacres. So Tulsa is, I think, the tip of the iceberg. Much of what we experience as Americans, again, has been, in terms of our history, has been watered down. So the, so the idea that we have a real uh, sort of reckoning, if you will, is very important to me. And the teaching of this history, especially from high school on, because it's our history, is also important. And I guess I throw it back to, uh, uh, to you, my friends, to, you know, to comment on, okay, so at this point, we know it. How do we, how do we get respectfully more of our real history into our uh, ethos as a people? Because you're right, uh, Natalia, at some point you get frustrated as an individual, as a group, and say, well, this country's never going to change. They're never going to face up to the realities of what brought us here. And there's never going to be any reckoning, if you will, with trying to reconcile some of those ills. At Leo, let me answer your question. Within the next hundred years, there will be a Anglo-white community of 32 blocks surrounded by either African-American community or Hispanic community. And then possibly in the African-American community, Tulsa will be a hot button that will bring anger out and the white community will be attacked. Or the Hispanic community will remember what happened to their sons and uh, grandparents and crossing the border and the atrocities that happened in immigration. The United States will be at about 40% white and will be about 40% African-American and Hispanic. And this will happen again because hate is overcoming love. I go back to Yugoslavia. I go back to Africa with the Tutsis. Love will work on an individual basis. I always believed as a Christian that love would overcome the darkness. That seems to be fading fast. And if we learn anything about history, this is going to happen again, but it's going to happen in reverse. I think, you know, one thing we ought to um, comment on is, you know, basically, what is history? And how do we develop our uh, history and, um, you know, the bias of history? And, you know, what what history actually is, is what we choose to put down in words to remember. And it also brings to mind to me uh, that famous George uh, Santayana quote that uh, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. You know, it, it it's moments like this that truly jump out at me uh, that we should remember that, uh, you know, what's in our history books is really the product of what some people have chosen to write down and reflect. And I can remember from my school committee days, the uh, arguments about Texas was one of the biggest 
influencers of textbooks in America because they were the largest market for the purchase of textbooks. So what Texas wanted to appear in textbooks was often what we would see uh, throughout the nation. And, uh, you know, I, I can't help but believe that those particular choices about what we choose to put in our history books has led us uh, to the situation we're in today where we do have some, some biased teaching. And that's a danger because, you know, we, we, if we don't learn about what happened in the past, then we are damned to repeat it. And, uh, you know, we have to take that into account. And uh, it's interesting to me that this discussion is taking place at the same time that many state legislatures are taking up the question of banning critical race theory and divisive topics to teach in our schools. And I, I say to myself, my God, it's that thinking that got us into the bind that we're in today. And our, the whole goal and the object of education is to develop critical thinkers that can, uh, you know, hopefully uh, learn from the lessons of history and learn from the lessons of the past and, and make the world a better place. I don't want to sit on a soapbox here today, but those are the things that are running through my mind uh, as we have this discussion. Frank, I don't, I don't particularly share that, that, that perspective about the future. Uh, I believe that if we, if we teach and reconcile, that our country will become better for it. If we teach the real history, if we understand our, uh, our past, that we could avoid any of those kind of future conflicts. I happen to truly believe that. But if you avoid it, if you, if you don't confront it, if you don't try to reconcile and bring peace amongst us, then maybe you're right, Frank. Maybe we are doomed to repeat it. Well, just like Santayana's quote that Jeff brought up, the other great quote about history is, it's written by the victors. Yeah, except, I mean, let's look at Germany and what they teach in terms of the Holocaust. I mean, I think there are countries that are being, I mean, obviously now they're able, they could uh, whitewash their history or try to, and I think some of the far-right parties are trying to do that. But I do think that there was a conscientious decision to tackle with a horrible history in a way that didn't allow people, you know, young Germans today to not know about the history. And I don't think too many countries have done that. And, and you know, I, I do think that with Juneteenth, just to link it to that topic, we're going to force people to have to ask, what is Juneteenth about? And obviously this isn't Tulsa, but it is the other sort of, you know, slavery, the legacy of slavery that, you know, to recognize that that was um, this country's, you know, Holocaust or worse, uh, you know, the, the, the most horrible thing that we could have done to a people. And so I do think it's important to recognize that, you know, history remembrance is important. And Frank, you know, you, you upset, I got upset uh, when you said this will happen again, because the hope is that we learn and we evolve, but, you know, I'm not completely, uh, I'm not going to say I disagree completely. I just don't know in what direction. I don't know that you can say from now that, you know, white Americans will be the victims or Latinx will be the victims. I really don't think that it's that clear cut. And I also want to believe that it's not set in stone and that there is something that can be done through our education, but also through other 
systems. And this, you know, our group has had a conversation about reparations. And actually, I think, you know, the massacre that occurred in Tulsa is probably one where a reparations type response would be appropriate because totally. so much wealth was destroyed. Yep. And I don't know if somebody knows if that conversation is happening. Um, and I think, you know, now that there are going to be more, you know, there has been more coverage both through you know, National Geographic and other sort of mainstream media, I wonder if a reparations conversation will begin um, there for descendants of, of the residents of that part of town. That conversation has been taking place for decades in Tulsa. And I think you're right, Natalia, that it's clear reparations not only is appropriate, but can be quantified. And yet the state of Oklahoma, the county, and the city of uh, Tulsa continue to reject, even in some cases acknowledge, that there is a need for reconciliation and reparations. Because there really hasn't been in the state of Oklahoma any reconciliation over the atrocity. And let me point out one other thing too, which is that when you look at Tulsa and some of these other atrocities in our country, typically when they're defined as riots, it's like the, the naming of battles between the North and the South. Many of the battles that took place had a Southern or a Confederacy name, and then they had a Northern or Union name. Riots typically are the moniker put on by those who committed the atrocity. Massacre is the name put on uh, that particular incident by those who were the victims. So even in language, there hasn't been any reconciliation around almost all of these types of incidences and atrocities. Let's move to June the 19th. And let me begin by saying the Senate and the House have shown me how dysfunctional they are in passing this bill to make it a federal holiday. I, I think it is an absolute, came out of nowhere. It's an absolute absurdity to do it. And I'll let you speak and I'll, I'll be happy to give you my reasons later. Uh, Frank, this is one of those where I, I agree with you and I disagree with you. First, it didn't come out of no place. Juneteenth has been a celebration in the black community for decades. And it is a celebration that signifies or looks at the true end of slavery in the United States. And I agree with you in the sense that I'm not sure it should have been codified or should be codified, but it is looked like it's going to happen as a federal holiday because it's symbolic and also, in my opinion, it is also a, a testament to the atrocity, another atrocity perpetrated on slaves by Texas. What Juneteenth celebrates is the announcement in Texas a year and a half after the actual end of slavery through the Emancipation Proclamation, where people were finally told, you know, by the way, you've been free for the last year and a half, almost two years. 
And uh, so now you can go about your business. Just thought you'd like to know. Yeah, it was, uh, it was uh, brought to their attention in Galveston by General Gordon Granger. Um, and uh, there's a memorial on that site now, a large mural that was put up this year with respect to celebrating Juneteenth. My take on it is, here's a holiday that has a reason. And so I'm very good with it um, because I get to celebrate it too. I mean, I'm not black, but I get to embrace the idea that this is something that should be. Uh, and so I'm very, very good with it. And it's an annual reminder of the kind of progress that we still have to make. I will share with you that um, the Commonwealth of Massachusetts voted to make June 19th a holiday last year. Uh, and it was signed uh, by the governor last year. And June 19th, 2021 will be the first time we celebrate it and recognize it uh, as a holiday in Massachusetts. And uh, just yesterday, um, several of my colleagues uh, raised a flag, uh, the Black and Latino Caucus raised a flag on the uh, State House grounds uh, commemorating it. And uh, a couple of my colleagues had made some, some comments. And uh, one uh, is Representative China Tyler, uh, who recognized in raising this flag and celebrating Juneteenth that uh, it's history, it's black history, it's her history, and it's her family's history. And, uh, you know, she went on to say that uh, it's a celebration of freedom. And, you know, it's a celebration of, uh, of freedom, not only for her, which she's made her life's work, but it's freedom for her, her daughter, uh, who's growing up. And, uh, Another uh, representative who made a comment, and uh, I was so touched by the comment that I, I used it as a, a tweet on my uh, Twitter feed this morning. And, uh, and she was talking about changes. And, you know, certainly we have evolved as Americans. And, uh, you know, the whole point of this show is to, to reflect on what it takes to make a more perfect union. But I thought her line was, uh, worth repeating, and I'll, I'll share it with you. It's uh, Representative Nika Eliguado, and she said, structural change is difficult work, and it's invisible. It's like when a farmer is tilling hard grounds. A city girl like me driving by might not see anything but dirt, but the farmer knows that coming down the pike is a beautiful harvest. And I thought that was a great reflection on, you know, what moments like this you know, really mean uh, for a community. You know, we celebrate uh, Independence Day, July 4th, which was uh, freedom for America and that we hold these truths that all men are created equal uh, and, uh, you know, can pursue life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Um, yet there was a whole community that did not get to uh, enjoy that freedom. And, and Frederick Douglass reminded us of that in his famous address on July 4th. So uh, Juneteenth is a recognition uh, of another level of freedom that was um, given uh, to people um, who were deprived of freedom for you know the first hundred years of our nation. So um, I was happy to vote. 
in favor of making this a holiday. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm going to be um, celebrating it. I don't know if happy is the word uh, for the celebration uh, <laughs> that's going to take place in Medway on Saturday, but I'm glad that I have an opportunity to reflect on freedom for uh, people who weren't necessarily free uh, on July 4th of 1776. Well, you know, I, I, I hear you and I agree with you, Jeff, uh, that we need these symbols of change and evolution in our country. I think it's important for us to celebrate the end of slavery. Uh, but I'm not sure that, and again, here's where I agree with Frank, I'm not sure that Juneteenth does that. Juneteenth actually, for me, symbolizes, again, an atrocity. The, the, the Emancipation Proclamation signed by President Lincoln was the actual freeing of the slaves. Juneteenth is the acknowledgement that in some of our environment, in this case, the state of Texas, ignored that order and kept people who were actually free enslaved until someone from the Union Army came and made that announcement to people who at the time, if you read some of the stories, were still working and toiling in the fields under the assumption that they were someone's property. And on Juneteenth, that's the reflection we ought to have. But the Emancipation Proclamation was the actual freeing of the slaves. And here's where I get into the details as a historian. I think it's important for our students to know that Juneteenth was not the actual date of the freeing of the slaves. And so how do you reconcile that, Jeff? How do you reconcile the idea that Juneteenth is a symbol of something that actually where a state was violating the law of the time? So, Michael, you know, I, I think you could also say that, uh, you know, this has been something that went beyond June 19th, uh, that went to 1896, with Plessy versus Ferguson, when when the Supreme Court ruled that uh, separate but equal was okay under the law, and it took until 1954 for that uh, Supreme Court Agreed. to be uh, overruled, and you know we we see a history of repeated denials of, of freedom. Agreed. But it's nice to have some symbols that we can look back upon. Uh, as moments of change and profound change, you know, why we don't celebrate uh, or have a holiday commemorating the Emancipation Proclamation is probably a, a great argument that you make. And, uh, but, you know, June, Juneteenth is one that uh, represents a significant move and a significant amount of change that it's striking to me, again, something that I didn't learn about until later in my life, but it's just a reflection of, again, uh, history being somewhat biased. And I, I apologize. I think I cut you off, Natalia, but uh, I just wanted to throw that in. Yeah, no, I was just going to add that I think it's going to be difficult to separate it out because the way Juneteenth is being talked about is a celebration of emancipation. And I don't know, Michael, why... 
um, you might have the history. Like, why was Juneteenth picked as, you know, within the Black community? I mean, I know in later today, um, activist Opal Lee, who in 2016, at the age of 89, I understand, walked from Texas to D.C. in an effort to get Juneteenth recognized as a national holiday. She'll be speaking to some of us at Harvard, and I'm very excited to listen to her story. You know, she was 89 years old. She walked 1,400 miles, and she was a Texas resident. So, I mean, how did Texas and this, you know, why did this become so important? Is it because of the injustice, the continued injustice, or how did the two get blended, I guess, is my question to you. And how do we, and I, I know your question was, how do we disentangle and is it worth having more than one holiday or, or how do we move forward? I, you know, that's a great question and a great observation. Um, Jeff and Natalia and Frank, I think all of these are interwoven. Part of what happened with Juneteenth, it's the recognition in the black community that the last enslaved people were set free. Not that it was the emancipation itself, but it was the last group of enslaved people who finally got acknowledgement that they were now free. And for me, as a historian, let's be clear, there was an atrocity between the Emancipation Proclamation and Juneteenth. So this is actually, and should be, very personal for Texans. And I can see why it would be a great holiday in Texas. But for me, my family out of Alabama were part of the first Emancipation Proclamation. And then they were victims of all of the atrocities that came after that, which I think, again, you're doing, uh, uh, you're pointing out Plessy versus Ferguson and all of the other atrocities after re uh, the first reconstruction uh, toward black people and other people of color and our indigenous people that I think is spot on, Jeff. So again, I, I mean, this may sound strange, but you know, I'm not coming from the place that I think this came out of the blue, but Frank, I agree with you that this is a holiday that has a very special, but I think very confined kind of uh, uh, kind of viewpoint to it. But it's been, but it's taken on a sort of greater life than I think what it's real, uh, what the real foundation of this particular day uh, is. Now, I must admit too that all of the events we're talking about, Tulsa, Rosewood, Wilmington are all interrelated because they're part of everything that happened after the Emancipation Proclamation in terms of the re-subjugation and terrorism of former slaves and the denial of all of, if not uh, uh, most of, if not all of their rights to participate in this country as citizens. So I think if nothing else, if Juneteenth helps us to reflect over all of that, then I think it's well worth it. But I think what's going to happen is, in my own personal opinion, it's going to all boil down to, well, this was the end of slavery, which is not true. And it's going to be celebrated as uh, more or less as the emancipation uh, when, again, this was not the real emancipation proclamation. Your thoughts? Let me give an expanded uh, thoughts of mine. First of all, the gravitation doesn't raise to a level that this should be a holiday. 
Here we have a general doing his duty in following an order and announcing an order. We have the promotion of the war that just got over with. And we're saying out of this armed conflict, one of the reasons it was an armed conflict was because of slavery. But slavery, and after his announcement, did not change things. It took up through Martin Luther King. So here we're promoting war. We're highlighting this came out of a war. This came out of a, a military person after the war declaring what was already legal. Martin Luther King came along and he, through law, through nonviolence, through protest, he moved the country in a direction where it should have been. June 19th never moved the country. It only permitted atrocities to continue up through Martin Luther King. And politicians, this was an overwhelming vote by politicians, right? I feel the politician in one hand is raising and saying, I I believe in, in doing away with slavery. I believe in the African-American. I believe in Black Lives Matter. And with the knife in the other hand, he twists the culture by denying voting rights. He twists the culture by permitting children to be slaughtered and killed in cities. He twists the knife, okay, to, to hold people, you know, accountable in a way that isn't permissible. And what's the economic effect of this? It gives federal holiday to and pay to federal employees. I gather in the state of Massachusetts, that probably is the same. State employees are going to have a day off and paid. How many Actually, holidays? no, that's not the case in Massachusetts. It's up to individual agencies and companies to decide. I'm talking about state employees. Yeah, that's exactly right. They, it's The House of Representatives will be recognizing it as a holiday on Friday, but uh, many of the state agencies uh, are not. The holiday will be the holiday will be observed on June 19th, and June 19th uh, is a Saturday this year, and it'll be a Sunday next year. So uh, there will not be days off for uh, state employees unless a particular state agency makes that determination. So that's one uh, distinction that uh, I. I you know, feel compelled to point out. Uh, but I will also share that, uh, you know, uh, when when I took the vote uh, on this, I was reflecting on uh, the remarks. Uh, it was Representative Bud Williams from Springfield, uh, who happens to be black, and uh, he was the one who uh, made the amendment uh, calling for this to be recognized as a holiday. And I was compelled with how much it meant to him and uh, to the community that he represents. And, uh, you know, his speech was uh, etched in my mind as I, as I cast that vote. And, you know, it was one symbolic measure that I felt that we could take to recognize things that were done, that were done wrong. And uh, if this could help us, have a day to reflect on these moments, 
I did not see any harm in, in proceeding. And, uh, you know, it brings me back to, to Natalia's point about uh, uh, the woman who did the walk. And this is, this is what she was calling for. This is what she wanted. And, uh, you know, we recognize that. And Frank, you make some absolutely positive, excellent points about the fact that, you know, you have some politicians on the one hand saying, hey, uh, I'm all for this. But on the other hand, I, I love your uh, analogy of twisting the knife. I, 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 I see that each and every day. And that hypocrisy, you know, kills me to witness, you know, people making a vote on a, on a bill like this. But then when it comes to uh, correcting the economic injustices, they, they, they say no. And boy, I, I, I love the way you, you phrase that uh, today. And I can, I can assure you, your imagery today is gonna, gonna stand out in my mind because you, you, you just said it so well. So thank you for, uh, for putting that. But I just wanted you to know where my heart was uh, when I cast my vote in the uh, Massachusetts legislature. I want to would... add that that hypocrisy has been highlighted by others too. And Frank, you're right. Um, you know, I'll, I'll read a tweet since we're doing tweets from a friend, Dr. Cheryl Barber, who's a epidemiologist. Her father is Reverend Barber. She wrote yesterday, you can keep your Juneteenth federal holiday legislation if there are no guarantees for voting rights, living wages, free universal health care, quality affordable housing and protections from police brutality and state sanctioned violence. I think she will celebrate Juneteenth. It's not, you know, knowing her, but what she was trying to raise is, is that exact hypocrisy that Frank talked about, that we can't, you know, just celebrate and have a party and say it's over. Like we, this should be the beginning of a commitment to uh, engage with all of these issues. And I don't think it's surprising that it's this year that this legislation and last year for Massachusetts went through. You know, we have been going through a real reckoning and I think COVID has brought it to bear because of the lives lost, the black lives especially, but also Latinx and indigenous lives lost that our society has failed some parts uh, and that it's not old history that we are still seeing that failure. And I think that is the tension. How do we commemorate, acknowledge history, reflect while well, there is still ongoing injustice? And Frank, you are right that this isn't going to solve that ongoing injustice. So let's use this day as an opportunity to say this is the beginning rather than, okay, we're done. Check. But it's I, not. It you know, not you know, say it's the beginning. You know, I, it, you know, uh, it, let me say this too, uh, and put this in context. I'm, uh, I do work in Alabama. One of the things that I know in particular people in the South have to live with and I'm not sure that, that, uh, that all of you are aware of, for example, the celebration and holiday of Jefferson Davis's birthday, the celebration and holiday, and I'm talking about state offices closed in Alabama, Mississippi, uh, Louisiana, the celebration of Confederate Memorial Day. And so part of our country sort of throws this up in the face of people who were subjugated in these atrocities. Uh, and I think Frank's point is well taken. You know, we haven't stopped, even though we have the civil rights movement, we have the civil rights uh, uh, legislation, we have the voting rights legislation, but now we're still confronted with people who don't like the fact, or the Supreme Court who didn't like the fact that we had the pre-authorization 
aspect of that. And they said, we don't need it anymore. Well, apparently the Supreme Court was wrong because now we have more states trying to take away voting rights. So I agree with Reverend Barber's daughter. Uh, you know, look, you know what? You can keep Juneteenth if all of these things are still going to happen to us as people in this country, our indigenous brothers and sisters, people of color, some of the territories that we that we subjugate, then Juneteenth only becomes a symbol of uh, sort of a political slap on the back. See what we did, and now let's move on to continue the atrocities. And again, like you, uh, Jeff, I you know I applaud you, Frank, because basically what it is is a twisting of the knife. We haven't reached that level of parity and equality and justice yet, uh, but hopefully we're still moving toward it. And we're detracting from Martin Luther King Day. We're, we're diminishing by making this a holiday. We're diminishing the importance of Martin Luther King, which went through law. He went through nonviolence. He promoted justice. And even in Franklin, we no longer, the ecumenical Interfaith Council no longer has any type of celebration. Martin Luther King Day is fading. Well, I, for one, you know, look at Juneteenth, and yes, it is absolutely the twisting of the knife. That said, all of our holidays have a tendency to focus on major events of the past, as does Juneteenth. But in moving toward a more perfect union and taking active steps to do that, those active steps begin with remembrances and reflection. And I would like to see Juneteenth going forward. Right now, it's an unformed holiday. I mean, in, in most people's minds, it's still something of a blank slate. That said, what will Juneteenth take on as its uh, shape? I would like Juneteenth to become a holiday about the future. You know, um, there's no reason why we can't celebrate you know, more than once. I mean, Martin Luther King Jr. Day is in January. It's led to uh, days of action mm -hmm. uh, that take place in January. And I would love to see that continue with days of action uh, here in June uh, when, uh, you know, when Juneteenth is celebrated. And I hope that it uh, takes on that life uh, as we, uh, you know, as we move on. So, um, you know, there's no reason why January has to be the only month that we can um, commemorate, you know, Martin Luther King Jr. and the great work that he did. Hopefully that can spill over into uh, the symbolism of Juneteenth and what it recognizes and all of the uh, other history that it encompasses uh, in the day. Um, I'm, I'm all for celebrating and commemorating and remembering and reflecting. Hopefully all of this commemoration reflection uh, will lead to uh, social change. And that brings me back to the, um, the statement that I had read earlier that, uh, you know, some systemic change takes a long path and it's difficult. It takes time. It does. It May, does maybe how many holidays should we have? maybe we should start eliminating some holidays. And maybe since the Christianity took over a pagan holiday, and now Christmas seems to re have reverted back 
to a pagan holiday, maybe we ought to eliminate Christmas as a holiday. I mean, how many times, the more you expand the holiday, the less serious reflection you can have. And why are we rewarding federal workers? From the Great American Rescue Plan, I want to read, eligibility for workers' compensation benefits for federal employees diagnosed with COVID-19. Subject to subsection C, a covered employee shall, with respect to any claim made by or on behalf of the covered employee for benefits under subchapter one of Title V of the United States Code, be deemed to have an injury approximately caused by exposure to the novel coronavirus arising out of the nature of the covered employee's employment. The covered employee or beneficiary of such an employee shall be entitled to such benefits for such claims, including disability, compensation, medical services, and survivor benefits. Here, we have carved out for a federal employee that in workers' compensation, you don't even have to have the injury from, from work. We have a, a judge with 200 that... I think maybe the son, I don't remember whether the husband was killed, in Congress asking for a thousand federal people to protect federal judges at $250 million. Where's the protection for the ordinary mothers in the cities? Where's the protection for the ordinary person? What are we doing? We're, we're, we're protecting and surrounding federal workers. I don't, I doubt if the state of Massachusetts allows that. Maybe it does. It's crazy to have workman's compensation and coronavirus. We're going in the wrong direction with holidays and protecting federal workers. You know, that could be a whole show in and of itself. I know in, on this issue, um, I have seen uh, legislation proposed that for certain workers, that there would be a presumption uh, that they got coronavirus in the course and scope of their employment. But, you know, presumptions like anything else, you know, can be overridden um, if there is evidence to the contrary. So that's the closest that I've seen uh, coming to that in Massachusetts. But going back to the uh, question on, on holidays, right now we celebrate 10 holidays per year. We have 12 months. You know, I'm one who do does believe that uh, you know these holidays do call for certain reflections and opportunities to to sit back and think and uh, I'm all for giving uh, people uh, these opportunities to reflect and think I, I shudder at the thought that President's Day has devolved into the weekend for uh, car sales and appliance sales and, and things like that. Uh, that's not what these things were intended for, you know, but I, I think of a, um, Memorial Day and Veterans Day, how uh, those holidays, and we just celebrated Memorial Day and how that brought the community together to uh, celebrate those who have given their lives. I'm all for it. And uh, like I said, we only celebrate 10 at this time. You know, at some point, they're, they're going to become too many, and maybe we should be replacing some of the holidays, as you suggest, but uh, well, Columbus I'm not going to start with Christmas. 
Columbus Day is being changed to a Na Native American holiday. In some states, it is. Indigenous Peoples Day is, uh, is what uh, some states have done. Um, it, that move has not been made yet in uh, Massachusetts. Well, with respect to the holidays, I know that there have been changes to holidays in the past. What began as Arbor Day transformed itself into Labor Day. Uh, we went from Olmsted's environmentalism in the 1800s, where Arbor Day originates, to a more recent understanding of the celebration of labor. I'm not going to talk about getting rid of holidays, <laughs> just because, you know, I, I actually, and this is for a future episode, I think we should have an episode about, you know, work-life balance, like holidays in general, like what what do we want? So I see it within that light rather than, I mean, there's the commemoration, there's the history, but there's also, I'm pro more holidays because I do think that uh, as Americans, we have gotten that part wrong, that we work too long. And and I, I agree with you, Frank, it shouldn't be reserved only for federal workers. It should be for all workers. Like somehow we haven't gotten the balance right from a public health, mental health, well-being perspective. I'd like to have that conversation at a future episode. So I'm for more you know, more holidays, but that's a separate, not related to the, the topic of each one right now. I'm just, in general, feel like, you know, a four-day work week would actually be better. Uh, but again, that's a, a different topic for a different discussion. No, what would be better is that everyone have a day of rest. We have eliminated, Sunday used to be a day of rest. We have eliminated not only Sundays, but we now are 24 hours around the clock uh, economically, what we individually need to do, and and society and government and economics needs to support it. There has to be mentally, physically, a day of rest that people can purposely, purposely enjoy. We have absolutely wiped that out. Commercially, mentally, you can't have a day of rest. That's not American. That is not, it's not being promoted from a health point of view. Where is the health people speaking up and saying, mentally, physically, you, society, have to have a day of rest? Where is the mental health people and the physicians saying, we can't continue? This is deteriorating our individuals emotionally, physically, and, and medically. I think looking forward with respect to what Juneteenth might become, on the calendar is interesting. Um, first of all, I like the notion of Monday holidays. They tend to make people really embrace them more. So given that we have June 13th through the 19th as seven days, it's interesting that there will be a Monday among them. And so just from a execution standpoint, Juneteenth is probably a classic example of something that could be a Monday holiday quite nicely, followed by a week of action. And again, I'd underscore the fact that I would like Juneteenth to be forward-looking, to remember the past, but deliberately have a strong forward agenda. That way, Juneteenth actually has a life, a reason for being, and contributes to the national zeitgeist in a very positive way ongoing. In 20, 30 years, we could look at Juneteenth in a very different way than what we see it as right now. Right now it's novel, but with the passing of a generation, I think its meaning will change hopefully very deeply and profoundly.
I agree with you, Pete. I look forward to my children growing up and and recognizing Juneteenth as they do July 4th as an important, you know, federal holiday, recognizing the history. And I hope, you know, to what Jeff said, I hope it doesn't become commercialized and it becomes another sort of, you know, sales and things like that. Um, and, you know, linking back to our, our discussion earlier around Tulsa, you know, history, education, reform, learning about our past has to be a commitment. And if during Juneteenth, it's, you know, a week of action, but also a week of learning, learning uh, about pieces of history, exactly. and, you know, events that happened maybe before the emancipation, but also since to show that, you know, as what Frank was saying that, you know, it wasn't until Martin Luther King, like many, many decades later, and even today, the injustices persist and linking across uh, historical moments, I think will be valuable. And I look forward to, to learning more myself. Well, as generations have changed how we celebrate holidays, because technology has changed and our priorities have changed, we each generation that is we're bringing up, uh, each generation that is being educated, we need to let them have the tools to develop how their generation and, and their era should celebrate and, and in what way uh, we have progressed that you know now statues that are inappropriate for the generation they're tearing down uh, holidays are, are for all too many people have been just three days that you can go somewhere and have a mini vacation without ever going to the memorial day service on the franklin common and hearing the bell rung for those veterans that have died uh, in the past year. We need to reimagine to some degree where we want and what we want to do about holidays. Pete, with that, what is the uh, uh, official closing things that we would like to legally tell people and encourage them uh, if they love this program to send in topics or to reach us? If you agree or if you disagree with what we've talked about today or in any episode of More Perfect Union, we would love to hear from you. We would be very happy to state your opinion on this program. You can contact us by writing to info at franklin.tv. That's info at franklin.tv. And we'll be happy to read your comments. For Frank Falvey, for Natalie Alinos, Dr. Michael Walker-Jones, for Jeff Roy, I'm Peter Jay, and thanks for joining us on More Perfect Union. This is Franklin Public Radio.